0: Thank you, thank you very much for the warm welcome uh, and for the, in- the invitation to stand here in your pockets. When I was given the permission to stand here, uh, I must admit I was filled with some nervousness uh, and that nervousness carries on, so your continued prayers for me even now. <laughs> Uh, as we journey on, our welcome. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians. That is where we will be this morning. The book of Colossians. I encourage you all to have your Bibles open. I want you to see that what we are talking about is not being made up by me. I want you to see that what we are talking about is coming straight from the word of God. So please turn to the book of Colossians. Uh, We'll be reading chapter 1, verses 3 to 8. Chapter 1, verses 3 to 8. Now the Apostle Paul, while he was in prison, received some reports. He received some reports of false teachers and teachings that were present there in that small town of Colossae, In East Turkey. There were ideas and thoughts that threatened the church. There were ideas and thoughts that threatened the community of Christians that was resident there in Colossae. In response to these reports, in response to hearing these things in order to safeguard and protect the believers, in order to prevent them from going astray and to prevent and protect them from false teaching that was in the air. Paul writes this letter in chains, in a jail cell. His love and concern for the people of God, his love and concern for the church of Christ compelled him to write this letter to these people who by all accounts he had never met. There is no history of Paul ever being in Colossae, And so he is writing from a position of love to people who he has not met. But he knows that they are God's people. And so he is compelled to help. He is compelled to enter in to their issues. This letter is being sent to men and women, to boys and girls who believe in Jesus Christ. It is a letter to Christians to remind them. To assure them of their faith. To remind them, to assure them of the supremacy and the sufficiency of the one in whom they have believed. And so that is where we want to to address ourselves this morning. And so let us read Colossians chapter 1 verses 3 to 8. That was just a, a context setting so that you know where we are. As we come to this letter verses 3 we always thank God the father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of this you have heard before in the word of the truth the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Amen. Amen. Before we, we dig deeper, let us pray and ask God to help us to study his word this morning. Our God and Father in heaven, as we turn to your word now, we ask you to help us. Lord, this is your word and not ours. And so we ask you to open our minds and our ears and our hearts to receive the truth of your word as truth. May the ideas and thoughts of man not be lifted up this morning. We pray, Lord, that your voice would be heard. Please speak to us. Give us your grace to the listener and to the speaker. Lord, we are in need of your assistance. On our own, we are unable to do anything worthwhile. And so, Father, we commit ourselves to you, asking you to help us in these short few minutes we have together to consider the truth that you have for us. Help us to change. Help us to respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So in verse 3, which really is the intro part of the letter, we see Paul is saying there, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. So every time, always, Paul, when he is praying, he is praying for the Colossians and he is thanking God for them. We know in his other letters that Paul was a prayerful man. He was a man who prayed all the time. Always going before his God, seeking his God's face. So if you and I heard the Apostle Paul pray for the Colossian church in a prayer meeting, if you and I happened to be sitting in his prison cell as he was having his praise and worship sessions on his own, in that dark cell, we would hear him and want to ask him, But Paul, tell me why? Why is it that when you pray for these people, you pray with thanksgiving and praise? What is it about the Colossians that makes you so grateful? Why is there this little smile on your face when you pray for these people, even though you are in chains, even though you are locked up? Verse 4. Since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of your love for the saints, Paul is saying that his thankfulness to God comes from his knowledge of their faith, which is clearly evidenced by works, their love for the saints. Their faith is alive, as James would put it. Paul is thankful to God because of their faith in Christ. And now let's be clear. He is not only saying that they believe in Jesus Christ, which they do. They must do. He isn't only saying that Jesus Christ is the object of their faith, which he must be if they are saints, which we know they are. He is saying that these men and women who live in Colossae are living a life of faith, which is fueled by, which is informed by their knowledge and belief in Jesus Christ. It's not only that they have believed, it's that their outlook... The the way they live their lives, their approach to how they go about their day-to-day has now been saturated. It's now been permeated, coloured in by and affected by their faith in this Jesus Christ. Decisions are being thought through. Actions are being made that are driven by Rooted in, founded in a saving faith in Jesus Christ. It's not that Christ is for Sunday. No. Christ is for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. This is active believing. A believing that transforms how you live. Not just a cool idea in your head. But a transformed life. This is genuine Christianity. This is true spirituality. And for this, Paul says he is thankful. And he points out there in verse 5 their love for the saints. The men and women there in Colossae love the saints. And we've said, and for definition's sake, let's be clear, because that word gets confused. A saint is any and every genuine Christian. If you believe and trust in the word of God, in his gospel... If you trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, you are a saint today, this morning. The Christians in Colossae have a visible, a genuine and honest love for other Christians. The Christian communities around them, as they pass through that small town, that small city, they are shown hospitality, they are shown love, they are welcomed rightly as brothers and sisters in the household of God. Paul isn't... Talking generally, necessarily That they love every Christian, which they do Probably He's talking practically Earthly, right here, right now When other Christians come your way The way you interact with them We have evidence of it I've heard the report And I'm thankful for it The Colossians have love that is unrestrained That is genuine and is free And Paul is thankful He says This faith And this love is because we see again in verse 5, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And we've already covered some of these themes in some of our singing this morning. The believers in Colossae had grabbed hold of a certain hope. They had grabbed hold of a hope which was fueling their continued faith and their effective love. Now, I don't know if I'm projecting onto BRBC my own, my own quirks here, but I don't think we as Christians think nearly enough about heaven as we should do. We, we don't talk about it, we don't anticipate it, we don't expect it to the extent that we should, I feel. We are too caught up in building our empires here on this world that we've forgotten where we are going. The Colossians had not. BLBC may be different. Maybe here you talk about heaven all the time. If that is the case, amen. If that is not the case, Brother Joe, there's a challenge. (laughs) My life, I know, if I speak on my behalf, my life is so focused on trying to manage my situation, my here and now, that forever, that ever after, that is coming. The life that comes after this one, which we know is coming, seems so far away, so distant, almost too distant for me to take seriously today. And how could I? I'm worried about my electricity today. Why would I be thinking about heaven, Mangwana? That's not how it should be. We need to take seriously the reality that we've been called to. It's not that far away. And this is what we're seeing here for the Colossians. They have grabbed a hold of a hope laid up for them in heaven. This hope is burning within them. A hope for heaven that is in store for everyone who believes in Christ. And those who continue in this life in his name. And it is this hope... This hope for the treasures laid up for them in heaven that is sustaining, encouraging their faith and it is fueling their love. It's because of this hope. It is because of a hope of, So, if I go to verse 5, it is because of the hope laid up for them in heaven that they can endure today. Knowing that something is coming on the horizon. It is that hope that encourages and enables faith. It is that hope that encourages and pushes love. Now, Colosse was an insignificant town in many ways. All of us don't know where it is now. It's forgotten, really, in history. But let me tell you what those people who had this hope are not forgotten by Almighty God. They are in glory in heaven right now. And so what we are seeing from an earthly perspective, we need to start to consider from a heavenly one. Eternity is coming, everybody. How are we behaving? Now, what is the origin of this hope? This hope must come from somewhere. It must start somewhere. It must be informed by something. What helps us to focus on these things laid up for them in heaven? And we see that in the second half of verse 5. Verse 5, if I read it all, it says, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, full stop, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. This hope that they have heard about before in the word of the truth is in the gospel. And to that, every believer should say, Amen. amen. It is the gospel That our hope comes from that is where it starts that is where it grows from that is where it is empowered brothers and sisters the the gospel truly is good news it is a message of life and salvation to those who believe and it gives continued hope to those who have believed we never grow out of the gospel the Colossians did not Their effectiveness, their fruitfulness, according to what Paul is writing here, is because of their holding on to the gospel. The cause for praise and thanksgiving, the cause for glory to God, is the fact that they are holding tightly to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Its truth and implications matter daily. Now what is the gospel? We see in 1 Corinthians 15.3 You don't have to turn there, I can read it for you It says Christ died for sins According to the scriptures He was buried and on the third day He rose again In accordance with the scriptures And appeared to his disciples There was and is a gap Between a holy God and sinful man Reconciliation is needed For this to be possible for for man and God to come together, but is impossible because of sin. There is nothing that mankind can do to get right with God. We can try matching up, we can try doing this and that, we can make all the efforts we want to facilitate reconciliation, but sin has created an unbridgeable gap and there are consequences. It is against and it is offensive to a holy God. But God has made a way. Jesus Christ died for our sins. He took the punishment upon himself for the sin of man. And after three days, the Bible tells us he rose again. And now because of that act, some 2,000 years ago, reconciliation and forgiveness is available. It's possible. The gap between God and man has been bridged by the cross of Christ. If you would only believe... Reconciliation is yours. And that is the gospel. So why then would this give the Colossians hope? Why would this give the Colossians? And why should it give all Christians hope? 1 Peter 3.18 says it this way. For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. This is the hope that is laid up for the Colossians. Being brought to God. Being able... To be brought to God. Heaven is not simply that we will be there. It is that we will be there with God. We will be God's and he will be ours. And they are anticipating. They are expecting and living in light of that reality. Paul goes on to say that it is the gospel which has come and impacted Colossae. They have heard and understood it. And it has had similar receptions elsewhere. It has gone far and wide. This is the rest of the section 68. The gospel has gone far and wide to all tribes, creeds and peoples. And it continues to grow. The gospel isn't cultural. It doesn't discriminate against people groups and people types. It doesn't choose tribes. It doesn't choose genders or ages. It's for all people. The Colossians had heard the gospel message from Epaphras, a faithful minister Paul calls, He had heard the gospel, sent it back to them, and they had believed, and this church had sprung. In this whole section that we've just read, verses 3 to 8, Paul, in his thankfulness, is assuring the Colossians that what they have believed and how they are behaving is demonstrating spiritual vitality and life, and that is glorifying to God. What they have heard, what they have believed is the truth. He is affirming their hope. He is affirming its effects. This was needed. Much like our day to day, there are many counterfeit truths, many alternatives, many additives to add to the gospel, many attractions that will threaten and pull us away from the running of that straight race. And so Paul starts his letter in this way to remind them of the gospel that has saved them and to affirm them that they are on the right path. No additional extras are needed. And if you read the letter of Colossians, you will see that the the teachers there were introducing all kinds of different practices. A spiritual life that is marked by faith in Jesus Christ, will show love for saints and will be driven by a hope for the realities of heaven. Brother Joe joked when we were singing that chorus about joyful, joyful, that we sing it in a lullful, dull, low-energy way. That shouldn't be the story of the believer. If we know we are going to heaven, we are to be excited for the realities that are awaiting us. That should fuel how we live how we sing, how we behave. This is the truly spiritual life, a life that acknowledges one true God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has reckoned who we have been reconciled to because of the death of the Son on the cross, and who we can only please, verse eight, because of the love of the Spirit within us. Now the report that Paul has received is what has sparked this letter and you can see that there are some encouragements but there's also some things to combat. But what we can take from this section so far is that these people are alive. This isn't easy Christianity. This isn't cultural Christianity. This isn't easy believism in Colossae. These folks are the real deal. The genuine artifact. They love God. They believe the gospel. And that is where, for now, we will park ourselves. So so what does that mean for us now as we start to think about application? What does it mean for you and me tomorrow morning when we wake up having considered these words? What implication does it have on how you and I live? And I want to spend a few moments now thinking through that one. Firstly, I want to consider the heading of Hope and Gospel. As Christians, as believers in here, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you're a Christian. And we are a people that have hope. Now, let me clarify that word hope. Because I think if I use it the same way the world uses it, the way your, diff- your dictionary will define it, you're gonna think wishful thinking. I could wake up tomorrow and say, I hope it doesn't rain. I, I hope today the, the, peer, the pianist plays good. Some of you are probably thinking, I hope the preacher doesn't go for too long this morning. <laughs> These are the things that we are hoping for, but have no control over, no certainty over. Will it work out that way? It's almost a gamble, a roll of the dice, trying to figure out, to see what he, could it could be. Hope in that way is what we are wishing for. What we are wanting to happen, but have no surety over whether or not it's going to happen. I hope tomorrow the electricity doesn't go. I don't know. It probably will. When the world talks about hope, it is talking about the outcome it wants. Not necessarily the outcome that will be. It is a roll of the dice, and that is not Christian hope. Christian hope is certain. It is fixed. It is knowing the promises of God and knowing that the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. It is knowing that we have a reality that God has promised to us is coming. And so we know that we know that we know it is coming. There is no possibility that it could not be. That is Christian hope. Our hope is based... On what we know our God will do for us on, in the future, based on what He has already done for us in the past. It's not vague. It's not uncertain. It's not wishful thinking. Which maybe this is what we want. No. It's fixed. It's done. It's coming. And the Bible talks about this hope often. At the beginning of Paul's letter to Titus, and you don't have to turn there, I can turn there. Um, to save your time. At the beginning of Paul's letter to Titus, he writes this. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Our hope consists of eternal life. Yes, as Joe mentioned, there will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more tears. Our God will wipe away our tears from our eyes. The word of God says this. And so we know it will be. But above all, it will be a life that we will be with our Lord forever. Which our God himself has promised. And Paul tells us that our God never lies. And so our hope is yes and amen. We know that we know that it's coming. Still in Titus in 11, in chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. That is our hope, that our God, our Lord, is coming back for us to make things right and new. And we who are his, when he appears, when he comes back, Colossians 3, 4 tells us, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Mm -hmm. We will be revealed for what we are when our God comes back for us. That is our hope. That is how we should live our lives, knowing that our God is coming back for us. Mm -hmm. This is the same hope that Colossians had. This is the same hope you and I should have. We should be anticipating the coming of our Lord and the glory to come. And it is only through the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we have this hope. And so if you are in this room today and you do not believe in Jesus Christ, then you know nothing of this hope. This is not your story. I'm hoping... That we will consider these things more because from my perspective in my own experience in my own life I think I live with a level of disregard for my hope And what I mean by disregard doesn't mean I don't think about it necessarily I'm saying I it doesn't presently affect me It doesn't press upon my mind and my being except once in a while And I think it should it should be something that colors in my days, colors in my waking moments, how I live my life, how I love my wife and my children, how I honor my parents and I love my sisters, how I love you, my brothers and sisters here. I mean, I know Christ is coming back. I do. I know the Bible says that and I believe it. But my daily decisions, my thoughts, my habits The things that I'm fostering and have fostered aren't motivated really by the reality that I will have an account to give to almighty God. That there is a hope that I'm meant to be banking on. I want that. I want that to be my story. I want for my God to come back for me. And I pray that it presses upon me and upon us more. That we would live our lives with this pressing urgency of knowing that we have a hope we are waiting for, expecting, anticipating, running toward. As Paul says in in the chapter I just read in Titus, if the reality of our hope presses upon us, if we are aware of where we are going, if we are aware of the promises of God and the fact that they are guaranteed, You won't have anxiety. You won't have issues of of stress because you know that God is good by his word. Loving other people becomes easy because you know that God has you covered. You're not trying to get yours because God's got you. And so we need this. We need this reality to press upon us. And to become a people who increasingly renounce and turn away from the pressures of this world. And that hope will enable that. We will live more self-controlled, godly lives. Lust, greed, gluttony, anger, hatred, worry. All these things are of this world. They are concerns for this world. If I'm concerned for the world to come, those things become less of an issue. They will have less power on us if we are focusing on the eternity to come. Thinking about those 10,000 years we will be there, bright shining as the sun, singing God's praise with no less fervour, with no less gusto than when we first began. Make efforts, church, BRBC, to think about heaven. Make efforts to think about its realities often. Think about being with God and what that will be like. As informed by scripture. Don't make up your own ideas. Turn to the word of God which he has given us to tell us what it will be like when we are with him. Challenge your pastor to talk to you about the realities of heaven. Not the controversies that we discuss and debate. Yes, let's, let's debate those things. But no, what we want to focus on is the reality that there is coming a day when I will be with my God and my God will be with me. If you are struggling, I would encourage you very much to read Revelation chapter 21. The first eight verses. And I'll read it now actually, just for you to have a taste. The first eight verses of Revelation 21 read as follows. Revelation 21 Revelation 21 reads as follows I'm reading from the ESV Then I saw, this is John Then I saw a new heaven and new earth For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away This, what we're seeing now, is going to pass away Something new is coming And the sea was no more I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. This is what awaits the people of God. Fellowship with Almighty God. So let's encourage each other as church members, as friends, as family, to think about these things. Let's encourage each other to be mindful of our true home. That's not to say we don't have responsibilities now. Yes, let's engage. We need to work. We need to take care of our families, for sure. But let's do those in context with the awareness that where we are going is so much better. Let us be informed always by the gospel and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Lastly, and very, very quickly, just to round it off, the second point where we've looked, we've just looked at hope and the gospel is now faith and love. Christians are to love each other. As a church, you are to love each other. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love. One for another. There is something about the way the church is to love each other. That is a witness to those outside. If we believe in Christ. If we follow him. If we have the same hope. We will love those that do too. And if we think about it just logically. In an earthly type way. We're going to be spending a whole lot of time with each other. Let's start building up those foundations now. And so we are to love each other. Our faith should inform our love and that should be fueled, egged on, propelled by our common hope. Now love isn't easy. We all know this. It doesn't mean that we're all going to be singing kumbaya around a fire, having a good time, telling jokes all the time. But it does mean that it is necessary for us to do so. Believers in Christ are to love one another Where love is that agape, selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love It is putting the needs of others first As Romans 12.9 puts it Loving one another with brotherly affection Outdoing one another in showing honour Does that characterise BRBC? If I was coming and I was observing BRBC Would I see this? Is there an outdoing of one another in showing honour? Just to be clear again, loving doesn't mean you're going to see eye to eye. Loving often means you're going to need to have a strong word every so often. You correct those you love. You challenge those you love. We are sinners after all with different experiences, but we must remember we are saved by the same grace. That's what binds us together. Love will take work and effort. It's not going to be light, but it is praiseworthy. And it will be glorifying to our God. And so, this week, the RBC, this week, let us consider our hope. Let us consider our faith. Let us consider our love. May God be pleased to work and help us this week and beyond May our faith be active In how we live May our life, be, may our love be genuine In how we express it to each other May our hope be pure And may we as individuals And as a fellowship Be a cause for thanksgiving And praise And glory And honour To Almighty God Such that as Paul did for the Colossians Maybe when I'm reporting back to Feltham, which I will do, there will be a cause for thanksgiving for BRBC. May BRBC, Harare, Zimbabwe, be a place where hope is effective. And may love be genuine in this place. Amen. Amen. Let me pray to close, and then Brother Joe, I believe, will come up and introduce our last hymn.